Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Well, church, I'm reminded of a story I'd like to share with you. It's a story about a fella that always fell asleep during the pastor sermon. Always fell asleep during the pastor sermon. Now, none of you are like that, right? But this guy fell asleep, and his wife decided to keep him awake. So she took a large hairpin with the intention of sticking him when he nodded off. Sure enough, right in the middle of the pastor's sermon, right? Right in the middle of the pastor's message, he nodded off. It was just about that time that the pastor asked a question. He said, quote, now who was it that made heaven and earth? And just about that time, she jabbed her husband with the pen. And he jumped out of the pew and screamed, good God almighty. And the pastor said, that's right, brother. That's right. Listen. Go with me, if you will, about, go back with me about 1500 BC. Think about this. You're the leader, okay? You're the leader over two million people that have come out of slavery in Egypt. And you're about to enter the land of Canaan, a land God promised to your forefathers. But you realize that there's giants in the land, and you know that they're going to have to be conquered. You know that the people in the land are idol worshipers, immoral beyond description. You know that you're about to die, so you won't be able to personally lead your people in the conquest of that land. And somehow you think, how, must I, how am I going to instill in them the resolve to conquer the enemies and remain morally and spiritually pure in the process? How would you do it? Well, the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, were written by Moses for that purpose. See, Moses had led Israel out of bondage, out of, out of the bondage of Egypt. For 40 years, he had wandered, right, with the people in, in the wilderness, often grumbling, threatening to uh, mutiny and return to Egypt. Finally, they were on the verge of entering the land. But because Moses' disobedience and striking the rock, God told him, Mo's, Mo, 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 come on up here. You're not going to enter the land. He says, all except for Joshua, Moses' successor, and Caleb, the whole adult generation which left Egypt will die in the wilderness. Now, before he died, Moses had an overwhelming task of what? Instilling in this new generation a vision for conquering the land and remaining true to God. He did it, how, church? By writing the first five books of the Bible, Right? So when it comes to the book of Genesis, we go, yeah, yeah, pastor, I think you talked about that last week. Moses wrote the book of Genesis, and, and I said to you, in my opinion, I, I think under the power of the Holy Spirit, although Moses wrote it about 14 or so B.C., right, 1400 B.C., I, I'm thinking that he had maybe a record from, from Adam or even in the power of the Holy Spirit. Nonetheless, this is, this is what he wrote now. The first of those books, Genesis, is called the book of, well, the book of origins, right? And the title comes from the Greek word translation, the Septuagint, and it's repeated 11 times throughout the book. You'll see it like in the beginning or the beginning of, right? The title Genesis, guys, 
comes from, again, the Greek word meaning origin. Origin. This is where it all started, okay? Very, very important. You go, Pastor, we learned that last week. Well, that's that's okay because we're going to cover a few things that we talked about last week. Now, the Hebrew meaning of the book, okay, the Hebrew meaning or the Hebrew name for the book is Bereshith, Bereshith, B-E-R-E-A-S-H-I-T-H, Bereshith. And this comes from the opening words in the beginning. So that's what it would be in the Hebrew, it'd be Bereshith, in the beginning. And it was Pastor Skip Heitzig who penned, God turned on the lights in the universe. He got to work making the natural world, celestial bodies, ocean, land masses, animals, and plants. And the pinnacle of his creation was the first man, the first man. Now, last week I gave you an outline, but if you weren't here last week, let me go ahead and give it to you again. This is kind of a generic outline of what we'll be following in the book of Genesis. But we see, first and foremost, we see the history, right, or the creation story. You can put that, the creation story. We're going to cover that, the creation story, from Genesis 1-1 all the way to 2-3, the, right, the creation story. Then in chapter 2 all the way to chapter 5, we'll see the story, or I call it Adam and Eve's story, okay? So we'll break it down. Then we're going to see from chapter 6 to chapter 11, we'll see the story of Noah, or you can write Noah's story. This is a good format. You can put that somewhere else. So you've got creation story. You got Adam and Eve's story, then you've got Noah's story, and most of us know Noah if we grew up in church. We know a little bit about Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, right, Noah? Then we're going to go from chapter 12 to chapter 25, and we're going to learn all about Abraham's story. Abraham's story. And then in 25 through 28, we'll see his son Isaac's story. Now, trick question. Well, not really a trick. Let's see how smart you are. Isaac was Abraham's son, but Abraham had another son. What was his name? Very good. Ishmael, okay? Ishmael was not the child of promise. Isaac was. But he's going to be in that story where we go, oh, right? Here's the application. How many of us have, from time to time, tried to help God out? Right? God, let me just help you out here. Let me just, let me just do this. And Abraham is no different. He tried to help God out. Right? And his wife, Sarah. And anyway, that was Ishmael. And you're going to see how Ishmael's descendants are even around today. Today. Then Isaac had a couple of boys, right? From 28 to 36. But the one we're going to focus on is Jacob's story, Jacobo. Right? Now, Jacob had a twin brother. Do you guys remember what his name was? Esau, right? Jacob had a twin brother. Esau came out first, and he was so hairy, they named him a rug. That's what they did. They came out and go, it's a rug. No, it was just so hairy. They said, we're going to name him Esau, okay? But they also, ta- they also, God also changes Jacob's name. Do you remember what they changed it to? Israel, right? So we're going to learn about his story. It's going to be amazing. And Jacob has a son from verses 37 uh, chapter 37, all the way to chapter 50, and we see that it's Joseph's story. That is the general outline we're going to follow. So today, guys, let's look a little bit at the creation story. If you're taking note, you can put when God speaks. Now, God doesn't speak till a little bit later on. God doesn't speak till actually verse 3, but we're going to see a little bit of the creation story. Now, there's something we must note, okay? 
Genesis, now listen, Genesis tells us the beginning of almost everything except God. You see, there's the beginning of the universe. There's the beginning of life, the beginning of men, the beginning of the seven-day week, the beginning of marriage, family, life, sin, sacrifice, redemption, death, the beginning of nations and governments, cities, music, literature, art, um, uh, agriculture, and languages. We see all of that, but there is no beginning for God. And I got to be honest with you. When I first got saved at the tender age of 17, this used to trip me up. Because everything in our mind, everything in, in the material world, we know has a beginning, right? Everything has, life has a beginning. Everything we know has a beginning. And I used to sit there, quite honestly, I was 17 when I gave my life to the Lord. You guys know my story. I would sleep with my Bible. I would read it. I would have no idea what I'm reading, but I would just read my Bible at night. And I used to think, okay, okay, this is, this is hard. This is a lot of faith. Why? Because if God, if you created everything that I see, if you created eyes and nose and ears and, and you created, you know, clouds and, 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 and grass and all of this stuff, here was my biggest question. Well, who created you? Where did you come from? I mean, seriously, were you just like hanging out? It's like, yeah, you know, hey, Jesus, what's up? Yeah, you wanna, you wanna create something? Yeah, what do we, should we, I mean, it just tripped me out, right? And here's what I've come to learn. Here's what I've come to learn. I've come to learn that little my, my little finite brain cannot understand an infinite God. And I look forward to the day after worshiping him for, what, 10,000 years to maybe ask a question. Or maybe when we get to heaven, guys, we'll know all things and we'll know exactly that, that our God created far beyond anything before he even created. He was there. He existed. He was not created. And as you know, as you know, guys, Genesis, especially the first 11 chapters, has, it, they come are just the severe attack from the critics. They start looking at it, trying to pull it apart. Many have looked at the first 11 chapters and, and, and they've, dismi- they, they've dismissed it under pure myth. Oh, no, 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 no. If you're a moviegoer, that's why you see, even, even God's not dead, the first movie, and God's not dead too, you can see, I mean, our universities, and, and you can see uh, what, what our educational system is, is, is feeding people. And I remember, guys, I, I believed in God. I grew up in a religious home. I've told you that before. I grew up in a religious home, but I thought we evolved from monkeys myself because this is what we had been taught all the way in elementary, all the way through high school. And I remember we were having this debate with a Christian friend of mine whose, whose dad was a pastor. And, 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 and I remember having this, he goes, maybe you came from a monkey, but I didn't. And I'll be like, wait a minute, what are you trying to say? You are going to tell me different? And, and I was going, no, 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 I'm just kidding. I wasn't doing that, but <laughs> thought that would be funny at the time. But anyways, you know, it's like, no, I mean, I, I, I get it. I mean, but I really came to understood what, what God and how he created us. And there was an evolution, but we see what's, it's under attack. You see, there are a lot of people, guys, who reject the... They reject all of Genesis while accepting the religious or moral point of the narratives. Of course, evolutionists laugh off the creation account as totally lacking scientific validity. That's what they do. 
Not so for us. So as we jump into the first five books, let's see what God has for us. You guys ready? Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. Genesis 1, 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Wow. This is the verse that all of your faith should hinge upon. In the beginning, God created. Now, here's what we must note, okay? If you're taking notes, the entire Bible, guys, all the 65 books after this hinge on these first 10 words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Guys, this is not an account of eternity, but here's what you must know. This is an account right off the bat of time, of time. What the author, whether it be Adam or Moses, we know it's Moses, but maybe Adam wrote this. He says, in the beginning, let's talk about time, in the beginning of creation, of creation. Again, think about this, guys. The phrase, in the beginning, in the Hebrew is bereshith, and it's properly translated in the authorized version, bereshith. But in the Greek Septuagint, it's actually tra- translated in Archie, A-R-C-H-E, the same words that we find in John 1.1. So Genesis starts off with, in the beginning, he's speaking about time and creation. Everybody got that, okay? He's not talking about eternity, Okay, if we were to flip back to John's gospel, chapter one, we get the same wording. But we must, 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 must understand that God has always been there. And Genesis starts us off with the creation. Now, your attention, please. I need to pour this in. I want you to feel the weight of this because this is what the Lord oppressed upon me in my heart. If John, the writer of the gospel of John, is giving us snapshots of the deity of Jesus and not so much details, I wonder if the book of Genesis is still going to give give us a lot of of snapshots and not so much deep, deep, deep details. And so what people do is they come to the book and say, aha, and they start pointing it out. But what if God didn't write everything down that we needed to know, but he gave us just enough so that we would believe? You go, how so? Well, again, look what John 1.1 says, right? He Genesis starts off with creation, but John says this, in the beginning, right? was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Guys, do we see that? John tells us, in the beginning, the Word. The Word tells us, I mean, later on he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 14. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, okay? So in the beginning what was Jesus. Jesus was there far before even creation. If you go to Genesis 1-1, you go, was Jesus there? Absolutely. But then you go a day before Genesis 1-1 was ever written, was Jesus there? Absolutely. Why? Because John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word with there is he had communion. He's fellowshipping with God. Ben, what are they talking about? I have no clue. It's going to be fun to find out, but I don't know. They were probably talking about you. They were probably talking about creation. I don't know. But you know, I know Jesus was there, right? Why? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Notice, and the Word was God. Here's what I want you to see. It doesn't say, and the Word was a God. It says the Word was God. You see, I can take my Bible, and I can put an A in front of it, and I can change the whole meaning of the, of the verse. And so now I can make it a, a what a pretext, and I can make it say anything I wanted to say with one little letter. Jesus was a; he was a smaller God. He was a created being. No, no, no. He was already there. 
As a matter of fact, we know that Jesus was what? He was there, and he was all part of creation. We know that. And so, you go, how so? Well, again, here's what I want to instill in you guys, first and foremost. John takes us all the way back to Genesis 1-1, but he says, okay, guys, move past that, move that, right? Okay, here's what I'm asking you to believe. I'm asking you to believe in a God, in a supreme spirit, a supreme being that was far beyond Genesis 1-1. That's where your faith comes in. What's the question here? Pastor, I wasn't there. Exactly. But that's where faith comes in. If you can believe Genesis 1-1, if you can believe that God had existed in the beginning, far beyond any time, any space, any matter, then the rest of your life you should be able to walk on any miracle that God has done. You go, well, Ben, I haven't seen any miracles. No, no, let me tell you the greatest miracle God has done in your life is when he saved you. Is when he saved you. You see, that's the miracle. That's what he does. Guys, when we come to the place in salvation where we confess our sins, when we, when we realize, listen, and, and, and later on we're going to see that it's a work of the Spirit, but I want to spend a, a moment, just a moment in time of salvation. Think about your salvation. What a great miracle. Why? Because I once was lost. You know what I'm talking about? I was walking blind. I was running into stuff. I was tripping over the darkness. I once was lost. Oh, I knew about God, but I didn't know God. But then I was what? Then I was found. I once was blind, but now I see. Guys, what a great miracle that is when the God of the universe who created you saves you by faith. He saves you. You raise your hand. You go, Pastor, 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 Pastor. Listen, here's some of the things that I struggle with. Why would God save me? Why would God save me? Listen, I haven't done anything for him. I mean, I'm a good guy. I, I... You know, (laughs) I I don't lie or cheat or steal. Well, okay, I stole once. But I mean, you know, Lord, that's forgiven. That's forgiven. But but here's the thing. God says, no, no. Here's Listen, get this in your head. God loves you because he's love. He loves you not because of who you are. He doesn't look down at my friend Adam's beard and go, man, that's a Moses beard. I love him. I'm going to save him. Right? Isn't that a cool beard? I've been trying to get him to shave it for months. Anyways, long st- so the point is, it's like, look, he doesn't look at us. He doesn't look at us at our features or where we came from or where our background is or our nationality. He looks at us and says, I'm going to save them because of who I am. Why does God love me? Because he's love. In your minds, do a little test. Okay, run a little test pattern. What is perfect love to you? Perfect love. You go, Ben, I, I, I know. I know. One word comes to mind, Jesus. Perfect love. Perfect love. So John says, in the beginning was the word, that's Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And, and Jesus was God. But Genesis says, okay, in the beginning of time and creation... John says, in the beginning was the word. We saw that. Now, I want you to grasp this. Even before Genesis 1, God was in existence. Can I get an amen? The Father, Son, and Spirit dwelling as one. Pastor, what were they doing? I don't know. But I know they were in existence. 
This is what's going to trip me out, right? This is what's going to... What if we... What if... I mean, what if there's just... There is another parallel universe somewhere out there with God. And, I mean, who knows? Who knows? But I know that God was in existence. You go, Ben, that was crazy. Okay, that was crazy. Disregard that. Here's what I want you to see. Although the universe had a beginning, listen to me, the word was actually already there and thus transcends the universe. The universe. In the beginning. Okay, everybody got that? This is where time and creation starts. You go, okay. In the beginning, God. Everybody say God. Okay, God. You go, okay, that's interesting. What's the Hebrew term for God? Jot this down. It's the word Elohim. Elohim. Okay? Elohim. Now, here's what's very interesting. If you were to take just the first two letters of El. It means one God, L. When you get when you have a certain name like Nathaniel L with the E L at the end, that means God is implied somewhere in the name. L, one God. If you were to take L O, right, you would be saying, Hey, listen, this means this is probably two gods. This is two gods. Okay, L O. If you were to take Elohim, right, the Hebrew word, it actually means, now check it out, right? It means, right, three or more. They would use this term, three or more, okay? So the name God, Elohim, it stresses his majesty and his omnipotence. This is the name, guys, used throughout the first chapter of Genesis. It is Elohim. Now, Here's what I want you to see, okay? This is so important. This is where my brain is fried because I'm going to give you a lot of information and you'll be like, what? Elohim. Everybody say Elohim. Okay, you got that, right? So so if somebody says, hey, show me Genesis 1-1 and you said in the beginning, okay? Bereshith, Elohim. There you go. You already know Hebrew already, right? Bereshith, let's try it together. Bereshith, Elohim. Man, you guys are great. There you go. What does it mean? Well, Charles Ryrie, he writes, Elohim is actually a generic term for deity as well as a proper name for the true God, okay? So you've got a generic term, and then you've got a name for the true God, right? Because, guys, it's used for pagan gods in Genesis 31.30. So you can't always go, oh, Elohim means God, but because, because it's often used for pagan gods, Elohim. Then... In Psalm 8.5, it's used for angels. Sometimes the word Elohim is used for angels. And then it's sometimes in Psalm 82, it, it's used for men, men or judges. Judges, they would actually call them Elohim. Like, it, it's really just this small God. If you guys remember, <laughs> I asked Santos to teach. I said, Santos, I need you to teach sometime. And he said, okay, I feel like Psalm 82. And, and uh, after he taught, it was, I went and I said, Psalm, why don't you, you picked one of the hardest psalms in, in, in the whole Bible. This was like the hardest psalm because it talks about Elohim, but it's actually referring to judges, to, to those governing, men governing nations, judges, or the children of Israel. So it can be used as a generic term. You guys understand that. But here, guys, it's actually used and most frequently used of the one true God. And when you translate it out, Elohim, it's not generic, it's not, it's not a pantheism God, it's not, it's not a pagan God, it's not angels, it's not men, it's not judges. Here's what it means. It means the strong one, mighty leader, supreme deity. 
Elohim. Okay? Now, here's what you need to jot down. This is going to be important. In verse 1, Elohim can mean plural, right? Three or more. But it's also, but it's only used here in the singular. Okay? As the mighty name of God creator, the first of where it's used over 2,000 times this way. Okay? So put on your thinking caps. Everybody put on your thinking caps. When you come to this verse, circle it. God Elohim is the plural name with singular meaning. With a singular meaning. Right? Anybody know our core value? What's our first core value? Love God, right? Comes out of Deuteronomy. What does he say in Deuteronomy? Right? He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is... Right? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your might. And so again, think about it. Hear, O Israel... The Lord is, well, it's Elohim, but it's plural with a singular meaning, okay? In your minds right here, you can just go, okay, that takes me back to full circle to John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in the Word. See how, see how beautiful this fits together? Because here's what's happening, guys. You have people a lot smarter than all of us going, well, let me tell you where you're wrong. No, you see, God put this together. And he's using the word Elohim. Well, that could mean, uh, you know, pagan God. No, no, when it's used here, it's the plural, three in one, but it's used in the singular sense. Mighty God, creator. Okay? Now, let's chat. Let's talk. Let's figure this out. I want to talk about God for just a moment, okay? Because I think this is key. If we look at our, our text and we go, in the beginning, God, Elohim, okay, we need to know who this God is, right? Here's what I want you to jot down, right, in your notes. God is eternal. God is eternal, okay? You go, what does that mean? Okay, it means that God alone is self-existent. Everything else in the universe has a beginning, a cause, but God alone has always been, is, and will be. He is the first cause, himself uncaused. As Moses put it so eloquently in Psalm 90, verse 2, he says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, he says, You are God. You are God. God is eternal. One of the things we need to realize so that you can have rest and fellowship with God is that God is self-sufficient in himself and does not need me. Well, Pastor, I thought I heard growing up that if I was the only man on earth, Jesus will still die for me. And that's probably true. He's a loving God. But let me just say this. Sometimes we feel like that. Here's how we present Christianity. We present Christianity like this. Well, God was lonely. And so he made man so he could have fellowship. No, no, no. God was not lonely. God is self-sufficient in himself. And didn't need me to complete him. But see, again, that's love, isn't it? Why? Because love is a choice. Love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. God's not going up there going, oh, woe is me. Oh, I'm so, I'm bored. I only have the Son and the Spirit. And there's only three of us and we're one and 
we know what each other's thinking, so I think I'll make men. And uh, that way I can talk to somebody else. That's not what he's thinking, guys. That's not what he's thinking. He's thinking, listen, I'm going to create them in my own image, but I'm self-sufficient. You got that? He's eternal. He's self-sufficient. And this is mind-blowing. Why? Because everything we know and relate has a beginning, has a cause. But God, God's always been there. And we don't have to, what, categ- we don't have a category to fit him in. Well, God was okay. We can't grasp the concept of being with a being with no beginning or end who exists in and of himself. As a matter of fact, jot this down. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul states this. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so men are without excuse. In other words, here's what he's saying. Every human, every one of us should be able to look at creation and realize that there's a being with an eternal power behind it. Behind it. That's what he's saying. Because here's the, here's, here's the rub. Here's the, he, here's the argument you'll get into. Well, Ben, I got a question for you. What about that, what about that pygmy in Africa that's never heard of you? What about that guy? Is he going to be condemned? And the Bible just told us that, guys, listen, that just being able to see the creation, his invisible attributes, his divine, his, his eternal power, his divine nature, it's going to put something in our hearts and go, man, there is a God. And, and, and I don't know if you guys can see it or not. Church, please, here's my exhortation to you. May we, may we not get so focused in our life and, and, and so busy in our world that we miss his attributes. You go, what? Guys, think about it. That of a beautiful sunset. I'm so busy, I gotta get home, I gotta get blah, 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 blah. and God's going, Hey, I'm here. Hey, good night, hey. And and we just see creation. When we see when we see beautiful sunny skies with just a few clouds, I mean, it's his creation. When you go, Well, Ben, I'm not into that, but what about when it's overcast and you're going, Oh, God loves me, I'm his favorite today. Here's my point, guys. My point is if Paul tells us, guys, think about it. If Paul tells us that his eternal power and divine nature and his in, invisible attributes show that there is a God, I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss it in the smile of a little child. I don't want you to miss it in the laugh of a young toddler or just laughing in, as it is, Right? Because the world has come and it wants to knock you down so much that when you laugh, it condemns you for having a good time. And you go, man, I had a great time. I laughed. And well, you you made a fool of yourself, blah, 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 blah. You know what? Man. Man, think about what God has done. Think about that. Let me ask you this, church. Uh, Well, actually, let me say this. Let Let me give you a homework assignment, okay? Yeah, what's the homework assignment? Will you this week count your blessings and write them down? Count them. What? What what am I blessed with? I mean, you might start off with, well, well, I don't know what Pastor Ben wanted. Let's see. Um, And then just start going to town. Watch. Lord, what am I? Wow. Wow. Count your blessings. We know he's eternal. 
Guys, have you ever have you ever considered the uh, enormity of the universe? Have you ever YouTubed some of that stuff just to see? If you could travel, check this out. If you could travel the speed of light, guess what? It would take you eight minutes to get from the earth to the sun at the speed of light. Eight minutes. To go from the sun to the center of the Milky Way, it would take you about 33,000 years. The Milky Way belongs to a group of some 20 galaxies known as the local group. To cross the local group, you'd have to travel at the speed of life for 2 million years. And the local group belongs to the Virgo cluster, part of even a larger local supercluster, which would take you 500 million light years to cross. To cross the entire universe, it would take you about 20 billion light years. That's a good place for a whistle, Joe. Oh, didn't get it. Didn't get it. He missed it. That's the universe. That's the universe, guys. Think about it. When God, when Elohim, he's, he's so powerful, so great, so wonderful, he's so much, he's love. Think about this, guys. Again, notice what he's doing. What does he say? He created the universe heavens and the earth. There's not a problem in my life that he can't fix. If I'll just stay close to him, if I'll just seek him, what I find myself doing is running from him from time to time. Because that's what the devil says, hey, you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You mess up too much. And I'm thinking, God, if you created everything, I mean, I mean, you can handle this. You can take care of this. I'm going to trust you. You see, God's not only what eternal, but our text also reveals that he's the creator of the universe, right? Note the next word. You guys ready? In the beginning, God created, right? Bereshith, Elohim, What's the next word? Well, the next word in the Hebrew is created. It's bada. Everybody say bada. Okay, let's try it again. Everybody say bada. Okay, and here's what it means. It is only and always used in the work and the creation of God. It means he made something out of nothing. He made something out of nothing. Okay, in other words, created, bada means to call into existence that which had no existence. Okay, bada, okay, let, let's say it, barashith, Elohim, bada, right there dispels, this just destroys any evolution, any Big Bang theory. Because what the Big Bang says is that there was a Big Bang and all of a sudden there was all this stuff parted and God's like, okay, well, look at all this stuff, maybe I can make something out of here. There was nothing, he created it out of, he called, oh my goodness, the power of God. Hey, let me ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead after three days? Well, why do you believe that? That's very hard to believe. I, don't, I believe it. It's easy. It's easy for God, right? Why? Because he, he spoke the world into existence. There was nothing in the universe. There was nothing. Aren't you excited to meet this God? 
<laughs> it was like, wow, such power, such power. In the beginning, God created. Now, listen, the worlds were framed by the word of God. God spoke and created men, right? Men can make things or they can form things, but they cannot abada, they cannot create, they cannot call into existence. Of course, it reminds me of this joke, right? Where God was once approached by a scientist who said, listen, God, we've decided that you, we don't need you anymore. These days we can clone people, transplant organs, do all sorts of things that used to, that, that used to be considered miraculous. And God replied, don't need me, huh? How about you put your theory to the test? Why don't we have a competition to see who can make a human being? Say, a male human being? The scientist agrees. So God declares that they should do it like he did in the good old days when he created Adam. Fine, says the scientist. He bends down to scoop a handful of dirt, and God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Shaking his head in disapproval. Not so fast. You go get your own dirt. Right? Because because what science wants to do is take what's already been created and make something, form something out of it. And God goes, no, no, that's not how I did it. I bought a, I created, I called into existence. What I find interesting, and we won't get to it for a couple of weeks, but what I find interesting is the same elements you find on the topsoil of the ground is found in us. Why? Because because God formed man out of the what? The dust. Out of the dirt. Now, now here's just a side note, okay? I'm standing way over here, okay? Just way over here. This is my opinion, okay? Whenever you think you're too big, whenever you get too prideful, just remember where you came from. You're, you're just dirt. You're just dirt. So be careful, right? Whenever you think you're better than somebody, remember. You're just dirt. That'll keep you humble. Lord, I'm just dirt. I'm just dirt. Could you make this dirt to worship you and praise you and honor you? We're just dirt. We're just dirt. In the beginning, God did what? He created the heavens and the earth. Guys, I taught you Hebrew. wasn't even in there. It's amazing. Barasith Elohim Bada, the heavens and the earth. And of course, if you're taking note, you can circle that. And it just refers to all of the universe. All of the, the earth and the universe. As a matter of fact, jot this down. Hebrews 11.3 states, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Okay? The skeptic will chide, see, it takes faith. You can't accept creation unless you put your brains aside and take a leap of faith. But it takes faith to accept all that God did by simply speaking his word. But even a little child can figure out that it takes an eternal, powerful God to do it. To do it. Genesis 1-1 can legitimately and inclusively be paraphrased as follows. You ready? The transcendent, omnipresent Godhead called into existence the space, mass, time, universe. Let me say that again. The transcendent, omnipresent Godhead called into existence... The space, mass, time, universe. Universe. Now, this is the state of the earth before God organized creation. Look at verse 2. 
The earth was out with, with the the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, here's where we run into a problem, okay? The problem is, is that some people translate the idea that the earth became without form and void. And their thinking was the earth was originally created not without form and void, but it became without form and void through a destructive work of Satan. However, this is not, this is not, basically if you look at the grammatical sense, this is, this is not it in the ancient Hebrew. You have those who follow this idea and they'll run over to Isaiah 45 verse 18 and it says this, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who established it, right? Who did not create it in vain, that's that same word, void, vain in word, who formed it to be inhabited, I am the Lord their God is no other. So they go, wait a minute. So if God created it without form and void, right, then something must have happened. Oh, I see. And so they'll run over to that verse and say, see, and and they'll try to change it. The idea here is God says that he created the world in vain, right? And the Hebrew word is the same word for void in Genesis 1.1. Based on these ideas, guys, we have some advancement that has been called the gap theory. Everybody say the gap theory. This is between verse 1 and verse 2. This is where they come from. Okay, we have to have a gap theory. We have to have a gap between verse 1 and 2. Some people believe in the gap theory. The idea of that is that there was this long and infinite chronological gap between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. The gap theory advocates the use of of theory to explain the fossil records and assigning old and extinct fossils to this indefinite group. Okay, in order to have fossils that were billions and billions, we got to have a gap, right? We got to go between 1 and 2. That's where their goal and One pastor I found writes this, whatever merit the gap theory may have, it cannot explain the the extinction and fossilization of ancient animals. The Bible says plainly, death came by Adam, Romans 5.12, and since fossils are a result of death, they could not have happened before Adam's time. So, now, it's not all worth mentioning. Basically, you have this, verse 1. Notice again, verse 2. It says this, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Okay, so God already created, but it's not worth, here's what, it's worth noting here at the end of this is basically this, guys, that we are introduced here to the Holy Spirit. And the, notice this, the third person of the Trinity is introduced to us in the second verse of the Bible. What was he doing? Well, it says he was hovering over the unformed earth, preparing to superintend God's construction plan. There's where he, there's where he was. Now, when God began to transform the earth into something beautiful and compatible with his great plan, where did he start? He started with the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit begins every work of creation. Now listen to me, or recreation. You go, what does that mean? Let me get some application. You guys ready? God's Holy Spirit in verse 2 of of the first book of the Bible was already moving. He was hovering. He was ready. And he's always been work of creation or recreation. You know, what does that mean? Here's what I want you to see. God's Holy Spirit begins every work in the heart of men. It's God's Holy Spirit. He transforms hearts. Here's what you need to understand. Salvation 
is a work of God's Holy Spirit by faith. In John 3, 3, when, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes to him at night. Do you guys remember? Do you remember the story? He says simply this. Um, he says, how can I participate? How can I go into the kingdom? And, and Jesus looks at him and said, unless a man is born again, born from above, okay, it's a work of the Spirit. You are saved here today. If you're here today and you are saved and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's because it's a work of God's Holy Spirit in your heart. Here's what I want you to see. God is in the business of transforming hearts, not simply modifying behavior. Guys, we can modify our behavior to look like a Christian, to act like a Christian, to fake people out. We can say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen, thank you, Jesus. We can, we can dance the Holy Ghost jig and we can, and we can modify our behavior, but we can, if it's not a work of God's Holy Spirit where our heart has been transformed, then we're not saved. Pastor Ben, how can you say I'm not saved? I'm saying this. Look at your life. And make sure your heart is transformed. It's a work of God's Spirit. It's nothing that you're going to do at all. Of course, I've taken you through this, and I'm running out of time. I've taken you through this through, through the book of Lazarus, right? When, when, I mean, when Lazarus had died, right? Lazarus, and, and there he was in the grave, and, and he wasn't doing anything to come back to life. He just laying there. There was a work of God's Spirit, and Jesus comes and says, Lazarus, come on, boy, we got some stuff to do. We're going to have some dinner. Get up. And there comes Lazarus, right? It's the same thing with God's Holy Spirit. It's a work of his spirit. Well, guess what? Guess what? Let's talk about the first day of creation, okay? Turning on the lights, look at verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, we've got to do some work, and you go, why? Here's what I want you to know. The sun and the moon were not created until the fourth day. We're on the first day. Oh, that just trips me out. What happened? What was this light that God spoke? You ready? Here's the answer. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I don't know what light it was. I can give you two schools of thought, okay? I can give you two schools of thought. Let me give you the first school, okay? Well, let's go back a little bit before I give you. The very first word God spoke was really simple. It's this. It's this in the Hebrew. Light be. That's all he said. Light be. Short, sweet, and effective. So what was this light? I'm not sure, but let me give you two schools of thought. First school of thought, that God had somewhere created the sun, okay, and when he spoke, the thick vapor canopy that was in the earth began to disappear so the light could shine on the earth. Right? The problem with that, guys, the problem that I have with that is that we're told that the sun and the moon were not created until the fourth day. We're still on the first day. So what was the light? Well, let me give you the second school of thought, right? The Bible tells us that God dwells in unapproachable light. In the Old Testament, we read of something called the Shekinah glory of God, a visible light-filled presence of God that appeared first in the tabernacle and later in the temple. Here's the thought. Perhaps before God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, his Shekinah glory lit up the universe. Now, think about this. Do you realize that, that once we're raptured and we hang out in heaven for seven years, eating, right? 
No keto diet in heaven, amen? <laughs> I got the biggest amen from a, from a diet, okay. And we're hanging out in heaven for seven years. We're having a good time, right? The marriage supper of the Lamb, right? Then we come back for a thousand years. Do you realize that, that when the new heaven and the new earth come, that the Lord says that there will be no need for the sun, that his light is going to shine up all of Jerusalem. Hit the glory of that. Can you comprehend that? I can't. Why? Because all I know is what we've been taught. And we see light, we see the sun, amen. Some days it's too hot, some days it's 96 and we complain, some days it's too cold, and we say, man, I don't want to wear five jackets. I mean, that's just how it is. How about we get to the place where God gives us the perfect temperature? Ooh, that's going to be great. That's going to be great. Those are two school of thoughts, but let me tell you what I do know. Here's what I do know. You ready? The first step from chaos to order is to bring light. This is also the way God works in our life. You go, how so? Check this out. Jot this down. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 3-6. to Paul wrote about the light brought to us by the gospel. He says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind, the God of this age, we know who that is, right, guys, has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is also God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in the hearts to give the light of knowledge to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Think about it, guys. That's what he said. I mean, we, he also does this. He lights up the light of our hearts, and that's what we preach. So today we're, we see the first day, the first day. You go, Ben, let's talk about days. Listen, I don't have time to get into the days. There was a whole section I read. I mean, you have, you have a 24-hour day. You have the day of the Lord, which encompasses a long period of time, up to seven years, right, from what we know. And I mean, then you have a day where it's like a day's journey. Well, Ben, I thought you weren't going to say anything. I guess I am. So here's what I want you to know. Guys, look at that last verse, guys. Look at it, okay? It says, then God said, there he spoke. This is the first time our Lord speaks. Let there be light, and there was light. He what? He created out of nothing. He just spoke. He has the power. And God saw that the God saw the light, and it was good. And then he divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning, notice this, guys, was the, and it says, first day. You go, why is that important? Why is that important? Okay? Whenever you find a numerical adjective, such as first day or second day, it always refers to the 24-hour period. You go, what does this mean? That's what's used in this text. You go, what does it mean? 24 hours, boom, one day. Why is that important? Well, we're going to close here in just a second, okay? Why is that important? Here's why. I believe that God could have created everything in a matter of seconds. But he took each day, each day, okay, so that we can learn from it. Okay? We can learn. You go, why? 
Let me ask you a question. You guys ready? Put on your thinking caps. What day did God create Adam? Which day? Who said the sixth? Sixth day, right? Why is that important? Because, think about this, he took every single day so we can learn from it. I believe he created men on the sixth day because I think, aren't we like the same? If, if, if he would have created men on the first day, we would be trying to tell him how to create the rest of the world. Just me? God, that's a platypus? I don't like him. Take him out. That's not good. It's a weird-looking duck, man. No, it's not a duck. Let's close with this, guys. You ready? Let's close. I want to close, I want to get serious, right? Why? Because each one of us, we need, to come to the, we need to come to terms with the God who made the universe and the God who made us in his image. You go, what do you mean? Listen to me clearly. Listen to me closely. Either you will submit to him or you will believe what Darwinist George Gaylord Simpson said, quote, man is the result of purposeless and a natural process that did not have him in mind. Either you believe, you say, God, I'm created in your image. I trust you. I believe in you. You died for my sins. It's, it's pretty out there. Or you believe that you really are purposeless. And you are simply a natural process that has no meaning. Now, here's what I want you to see. Just believing that God doesn't exist does not make him cease to exist. You can stand and go, I don't believe. That does not change anything that we've just read. Guys, he's the living God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. And perhaps maybe today you're afraid to come to him. There's a sin in your life, and like Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they would rather hide from him. Listen to the words of Jesus who claimed to be sent by God to die for our sins and that someday he will judge every person. He says this, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Guys, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, you can believe that God sent his son, Jesus, to die for your sin. And you can sleep tonight knowing that if you were to die, that you would enter into, into the heavenly realm with God. Because Jesus paid for your sins. Every one of them. But see, it's a faith. It's the same faith that you go, I believe in God. I don't have to have all the answers to believe in God. I just trust him. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I can't do this life without God. And the older and the more I walk with God, here's what I get to the place. I get to the place where I want to know him more. I want to hear his voice. I don't want to play in this world anymore. I want to know him. I want to know the plan he has for me. I want to see him face to face.
I can't live without God anymore. I believe that. And I also believe that there is nothing that I've ever done that could earn salvation, that it's a free gift if I'll put my faith and trust in him. And that's what he says. But a lot of us, we go, oh, I've sinned. And we want to cover ourselves in our own religion, in our own attitudes, in our own personalities. And we want to go, no, 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 I'm good. And and we make light of it. And instead of just being honest and open and coming to him, go, God, save me. I open my heart. I invite you inside. Please forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you died on the cross. I repent of my sins and I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. Here's the question, church. Have you done that? Have you put your faith and trust in a God who created you in his image and a God who spoke on the first day and he's starting to create and the Holy Spirit is moving and it's going to get exciting? Have you done that? Pastor, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know. if I hope so. I did too. I remember, God, I hope. And here's what I thought. I thought, I hope my, my good outweighs my bad. I hope I did more good than bad. It's not about good and bad. It's about going, Jesus, I am a sinner and I truly acknowledge you. Come into my heart. Save me. Here's my prayer on a Wednesday night, guys. I love you, and I pray that that we are saved, that we're saved, that we've given our life to God. But maybe you're here tonight, and you go, I haven't. I haven't prayed a prayer. I don't know. I don't know. But but here's the thing. Listen to me right now. If you don't know you're saved, but you want to, if you go, I want to pray this prayer. I want to make sure that I that I have Jesus. Well, we know it's a work of the Spirit, but but it's also obedience by you. You go. What do you mean? Listen. In a moment, you can just you can just you can get right with God. No matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, no matter what your background, no matter who you are, you can get right with God. All you have to do is surrender tonight. That's what we're here for. Pastor, I will be so embarrassed. I mean, are you serious? Listen, everybody in here has made that same walk. Everybody in here has raised their hand one one time or another. I remember sitting in the chair going, that's me, that's me, I want to be saved. What did you know? I didn't know anything. I just know I needed to be saved. I just know I needed Jesus. And my life has never been the same. Well, what's he going to do? Is he going to come in and automatically just change you? He's going to come in your heart and he's going to start working. Trust me. He's going to start working. But here's the question. Have you, have you confessed? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Do you have a defining moment where you go, that's the day I gave my life to you. That's the day I prayed. I remember the day well. I gave my life to Jesus. If you don't, I want to give you an opportunity tonight to surrender your life to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Genesis, God. Thank you for all the information you've given us, God. If you'll just take it and put it in our brains and separate it and put it where it needs to go and help us to grow, Lord. I do know this. I know our takeaway is really simple, God, that, uh, that you, Lord Jesus, that it was your spirit that creates and recreates and Lord, there, there might be somebody here tonight. I don't know, Lord. There might be somebody here tonight that just needs to surrender their life to you. They need it. They need a defining moment, God, where they can say, I surrender to you. And Lord, I always want to provide that opportunity. 
And I pray, God, your spirit would move in the hearts of your people. Lord, do a work. Hey, listen, if you're here tonight and God was speaking to you, I don't want you to raise your hand unless God was speaking to you. This is between you and the Lord. But if God was speaking to you and this is something that you need to do, that you're ready to be saved, you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ. Regardless of the consequences, man, you're ready to surrender. And again, I don't know where you all are at, but I do know that maybe God is speaking right now. Listen, if you're not surrendering your life for any other reason that that you want to follow Jesus, I want to do this because of this, don't raise your hand. But if you're serious about your walk with God, then I want you to simply lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus tonight. And don't be afraid. Don't worry about what people think. Their eyes are closed. Their heads are bad. They're not watching you. But I do want to give you an opportunity. If you're not right with God tonight, all you have to do is just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Would you lift up your hand if God is speaking to you right now? This is between you and the Lord. No one else. And I know it's a Wednesday night, and I know most of you guys, I know most of you are saved, but if not all of you are saved, but I just want to give you an opportunity. Just lift up your hand. Say, Ben, pray for me. I want Jesus. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this young man whose hand was raised, and I pray that tonight, Lord, he would surrender to you. And he would pray a simple prayer that goes like this. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. I believe that you died for me, God. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose the third day. And I believe you're coming back for me. And I surrender my life tonight. And I ask you to come into my heart and be my Lord, be my God, be my Savior and be my friend. I choose this day to follow you, Jesus, for forever I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.